Wonderful. Well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you want a title for this morning's message, we're carrying on with our new series for the common good. Do you like the backdrop, by the way? I'm loving the backdrop. It's good. It took me hours. It really did. <laughs> no, it's Ali and her team. Just a wonderful, wonderful job. As usual. And I, and I have to say, I, I, listening to Brenda's message, I did like the wooing from Alex and Heather. That was nice. Just the cheering on your different people. That was nice. I'm going to try and not have so much of that today. Um, but it was really nice. But last week, for those of you that weren't here, we started a series for the common good. And I just thought Brendan did a, an outstanding job of starting to open up the Trinity and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not easy to do. And so if somebody ever assigns you the task of, okay, I want you to preach on the third person of the Trinity, you've got one morning and about 45 minutes, all the best. Um, that's a really hard task. And I just thought this young man did an outstanding job of it. I think he, what he did great was gave a very wide-angle lens on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, how he convicts the world and gives life to a people for them to enjoy God forever. How the Holy Spirit enlivens us and illumines and empowers. He brings us to life in the faith. He then illuminates God's word to us throughout our Christian life. And he empowers us to live the Christian life. So that was a great introduction to this series. But for the next four weeks, we've then got a much narrower lens. Looking specifically at spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to start today with 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 1 through 11, and so that we're all clear, so that you not be disappointed with me at the end, I'm not going to try and exegete every verse of this. That's not the way we're going to go about this task. And the simple reason for that, in part, is because 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 is a corrective to a very specific church. And so it's very difficult just to say, okay, well, I know you're all expenties, let's have it. You know, it doesn't work like that. So we can't just exegete it fully in that way. But I am nonetheless going to seek to exposit 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, so we can really look at what, what are these spiritual gifts? How do they work and what's the purpose of them? Should we be nervous about them? Or should we be pursuing them? So let's read from verse 1 through to the end of verse 11. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Sovereign Grace Ministries are a family of churches who are, as you know, both reformed and charismatic. Now, for many folk, they say that's an oxymoron. You cannot be reformed and charismatic and I would look them back at the eye and say, well, we are. And we are with both of those things. And we believe the Bible teaches both of those things. And so we are reformed, essentially, in the sense that we eagerly pursue being submitted to the authority and sufficiency of God's inerrant word and recognize his sovereignty over history and salvation. When we talk about being reformed, that's what we mean. We want to sit under this word, not over this word, but under this word. We want it to have authority in our lives as individuals. We want it to have authority in our church. And we want to sit under it deliberately. And as an expression of that, we do believe God is sovereign over all things. And that includes salvation. We don't believe that God's sovereign over all things except salvation. We believe he's sovereign over all things. And so when we say we're essentially reformed, that's what we mean. And so some would say, but you don't baptize infants. No, we don't. 
We don't like that bit of the Reformation. But all the other bits, we agree with. And so we're essentially reformed in the sense that we want God's word to be our guide, the inerrant word of God. We want to sit under it. And we want to allow then it to speak to us in all areas of life, trusting that God is sovereign over all areas and sovereign also then over salvation. But we are also unapologetically charismatic. We also eagerly pursue the power and presence of the act, the power and active presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So when we say charismatic, that's what we mean. We actively pursue the power and active presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we have two pursuits as a local church, a pursuit to be reformed, to sit under God's word as our guide, and also the pursuit of being charismatic, to pursue the Holy Spirit's active work in our lives. Now, neither of those two pursuits, so we're clear, should ever define us as a church. What should always define us as a church is the gospel. What must always define us as a local church is Christ and him crucified. That's the teaching of scripture. That is without doubt the central tenet of scripture. And that is what we're all about. And that's why you are going to hear more and more and more about the gospel, but not necessarily more and more and more about the spiritual gifts. It's one of our things. It's one of our pursuits. But it's not what's central in us. What's central is the saviour. But nonetheless, we do nonetheless have two pursuits. D.A. Carson, I think, sums up these two pursuits very well. Right at the end of his book, Showing the Spirit, he writes as follows. He says, We must desire to know more of God's presence in our lives and pray for a display of unleashed, reforming, revivifying power among us, dreading all steps that aim to domesticate God. I love that. That's the reformed side of things. That's the charismatic side of things. And you've got to understand, Mr. Carson, Dr. Carson is quite a reserved guy. So if, you, if you've ever met him or know him or seen him, he's quite reserved. He's Canadian. I've never seen him outside of a suit. You know, this guy, he's not the most charismatic person you've ever met. But his whole premise is we must not domesticate God. We must pursue his reforming, revivifying power. But, he writes so helpfully, but such prayer and hunger must always be tempered with joyful submission to the constraints of biblical discipline. Amen to that. We must sit under God's word. But sitting under God's word, we have to allow God's word to speak into our lives. And as soon as we allow God's word to speak into our lives, what becomes very clear is we need to pursue the active presence of the Holy Spirit. Not just 2,000 years ago, but... But today, in our lifetime. So I really have three hopes for this series and the remainder of this series. First of all, I hope with all my heart that we'd be educated, that we'd grow in our understanding of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. His concern was Corinthians... um, you are just messing up. You're exercising these spiritual gifts all over the shop, but this is charismatic chaos when I come into your church. This is just an utter nightmare. And so I don't want you to be uninformed. So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to start to teach you about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And certainly from my premise, coming at this whole series, this is where I really began. I really had a sense from the Lord that he didn't want Sovereign Grace Church Sydney to be uninformed. And so this is not a corrective to you like it was to the Corinthian church. In some ways, this is the other. This is a, let's get on board with this. Let's use in these things. But it is nonetheless a desire, just like Paul's, to care for you and ensure that we not be uninformed, misunderstanding what spiritual gifts are and so forth. I also have a hope that through this we'll be equipped, equipped to use the gifts that God already has given us and what I think he may want to give us and also that we'd be encouraged, encouraged as we see in Scripture what God can do when he turns up at church, what God can do through and in people's lives. And I pray that we'd be encouraged then as we see these things and understand these things and see them operating in our lives, that we would just see more and more of Jesus, which is the whole point of spiritual gifts, that Jesus would be all the more amazing in our church as a result of seeing spiritual gifts used. And so I have high hopes But I also have realistic expectations. Four weeks to speak about something that that is, I think, controversial, particularly controversial in Sydney. 
think it would be fair to say there is polar opposites ends of the scales in this, in this city. You're either reformed or charismatic, but never both. And I'm trying to say, <laughs> we're both. But I have realistic expectations, and so what I want us to do as a local church is, is study this together. I'm not going to be able to, obviously, in four, in four sessions, just explain all about every spiritual gift, how they work in every context, how we pursue them, how we cultivate them, how they operate. I'm going to give us big picture things and help to put some boundaries on different things. But we should study these things. A few books then. Obviously, the first one that Brenda mentioned, Delighting in the Trinity, is just an outstanding book. I came across this book at the Gospel Coalition in April when I went out there. And I think as Brenda says, it just does an amazing job of helping you love God more. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is one of the books for me. My brain is at best small. And so this is one of these books for me that I read it and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because it just expands your mind as to how great God really is, which does cause you to want to love him more. So grab that book, you'll enjoy it. Another one by Gordon Fee, Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. What Gordon Fee does, a great job, a great scholar, is he really spends time looking at Paul's writing and says, well look, this is what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in God's word and this is how the Holy Spirit interacts then with the people of God, the church. This is just a fantastic book and will be well worth you getting and reading. D.A. Carson then showing the Spirit. As I said before, we're not going to be able to exegete every verse in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. But Dr. Carson does, if you'd like to read him. So this is an exposition of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, and he details different things. It's just an excellent book. And so if, as I say things, you think, I have no idea what he's on about, buy the book, read the Bible some more, pray more, and you'll start to figure it out. And then Sam Storms, one of my favourite books, The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. He just takes on the nine gifts that are mentioned in this passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, and he starts to expand what they are in particular. And so I'd encourage and recommend you get that book as well because that will help us build a criteria for what they are. So, realistic expectations, but nonetheless high hopes. High hopes to educate, high hopes to equip, high hopes to encourage. And so let's pray because I need help. Lord, I do ask for your grace. Lord, this is, this is a new topic. And for many people in this room, it's probably the first time they've really engaged on this topic in an expositional and theological way. Oh Lord, would you help me then? Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the truth of God's word to our hearts? Would Jesus become bigger as we pursue spiritual gifts together? And Lord, would you help us then grasp what your word says and not come at it with our own traditional backgrounds, or our own ideas, but come at it like children sitting under your word and seeing what you have to say. So address us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the big idea, introducing spiritual gifts. The big idea is this. This is the one thing that I want you to get from today's message. Are you ready? It's in a sentence. Spiritual gifts are wide and diverse grace gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. That's all I really want you to get from today's message. Spiritual gifts are wide and diverse gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. That's where I want us to go with this whole teaching here today. I want us to grasp what spiritual gifts really are in an introductory way and see how they're wide and diverse, they're grace gifts, they're given to us and empowered by God, and they're given for the common good. So four points that are going to help us unpack that. And here's the first. Number one, spiritual gifts are for today and given to all. See, one of the common misconceptions that we have to take on right at the start of this study, the common misconception is this, that spiritual gifts have now ceased that they don't exist. And so to be charismatic is just insane because to pursue some spiritual gifts that died out 2,000 years ago is utterly crazy. To pursue something that the Bible seems by some, which I believe is a misread, to say that spiritual gifts have ceased would be insane. And so why would I as a pastor encourage people to pursue spiritual gifts if they've actually gone? Well, the reason why I'd encourage you as a pastor to pursue spiritual gifts is because they haven't gone. I think that's a misconception. And it's a misconception and a misteaching of actually 1 Corinthians 13 
verses 8 through 12. Because some misread this, you can turn there if you'd like to, some misread this and think that because the Bible has been completed, because the canon of Scripture has come to an end, that that means prophecies come to an end, and tongues have come to an end, and the spiritual gifts have come to an end. And they get it from just here. Look at verse 8 through to verse 12 of chapter 13. Paul says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now some would say, and I believe it's a misreading, that what Paul is saying here in verse 9 is the perfect is the Bible. So when the perfect comes, i.e. the canon of scripture closes, the Bible comes in its entirety. When the word of God comes, the imperfect will pass away, i.e. that we won't be able to, prophecy will no longer be in part. Won't be needing prophecy anymore, won't be needing tongues anymore. Well, if that's true, according to that text, if you exposit it correctly, you'd have to say, well, knowledge has probably ceased as well then, since we had all of scripture. Doesn't make sense. And neither does it, this whole premise of when I was in a child and then talks about, I gave up childish ways, but now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What through this? I, I, I put to you, what he's talking about is the consummation. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ comes, we'll no longer need prophecy. When Jesus Christ comes, tongues won't be needed. When Jesus Christ comes, although now we see in part, then we will see fully. We will know him fully. For now we see in a, in a mirror dimly, even by reading God's word, we, we see it in part and we think this is, this is incredible. But in that day we will see him face to face and know him fully. And so the perfect isn't talking about the word of God. The perfect is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. And I trust that excites you because straight off I've just dismantled that argument and what that means then is that spiritual gifts are for today. They didn't die out when the perfect comes. The perfect is Jesus returning. So we have the Bible, that's amazing. But the Bible then teaches that spiritual gifts are still for today. Sam Storms in the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts says it this way. He says, For many years I've heard people say Miraculous gifts accompanied and attested to the truth of the gospel until the last word of canonical scripture was written. Now, there's no longer a need for such manifestations of divine power. The Bible itself has replaced miraculous phenomena in the life of the church. Here's his response. My immediate problem with this is that the Bible itself makes no such claim. I'm not denying the role of miraculous gifts in bearing witness to the truth of the gospel in the first century, but why should we think the church in our century stands in any less need of this activity of the Holy Spirit? Well, friends, how true that is. When Jesus Christ walked the earth in the Gospels, he drew on the power of the Holy Spirit to perform miracles, to perform healing, to speak prophetically, to speak words of knowledge in various situations. When the disciples then took that on after the ascension and Jesus sent out the disciples and they start healing people, they start prophesying, they start working in words of knowledge and so on and so forth. They do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so why would we assume then that 2,000 years on, we don't need that anymore? We have the perfect, the Bible, and that's all we need. Father, Son and Holy Word. We've got everything we need. It just doesn't work like that. God has given us Father, Son and Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has given us the word but then he's also given us gifts. Why would we assume that we don't need them anymore? That there's no need for those different things? Why would we assume that the Bible says they've died out when it never does? I submit to you, in the same way that in the first century the early Christians needed the power of the Holy Spirit, so do we. In Sydney, 2,000 years on, we, we desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need him operating and working in our lives. Now, just so we're clear, do not hear me saying then 
that I think whatever we read in Acts should and must happen today. I think that would be going too far. See, verse 12 says, uh, sorry, verse 11, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So it's not for us to demand that 2,000 years on, it will look exactly the same today. So as a pastor, I want to be just like Peter. I want there to be moments that as my shadow falls on people, they're instantly healed. Uh, It shouldn't necessarily work just like that. And I think if we read into history and say, therefore, it's going to look exactly like that, that would be a mistake. But what I can say and what I would say and what I do say is the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were displayed in Acts are indeed still powerful and operating today. They still exist. They still can take place. They still can be involved in our midst as a local church. John Wimber then in his book PowerPoints, he says this, He says, the manifestation of the Spirit then is not supposed to be the exception. It is supposed to be the norm. To how many of us does God give spiritual gifts? To everyone. Someone might think, not to me. What Paul is talking about hasn't ever happened to me. My answer is yes, it has. You just didn't have the theology, the practice, or the encouragement to recognize it and respond. I agree with that. See, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, not to some and to some churches. To each. If you're a Christian, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Everybody, every individual as a Christian has spiritual gifts. Every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior receives spiritual gifts. I just think for so many people, they're not in a context where they have a theology or a practice or an encouragement to recognize them and respond. And so often they're quenched. But that doesn't mean they're not there. I'd have to say for me as well, I haven't been involved with pastors over many years. I've met pastors who would be complete cessationists. What's a cessationist is? A cessationist is just an idea that their gifts have ceased. Cessationist. And I'd have to say some people who you encounter that would say the gifts of the Spirit don't operate today are some of the most prophetic people I've ever met because they have senses of things all the time. And you say, oh, so, so when you said that you felt that God spoke to you and encouraged you to go back into the house and, and talk to that individual that you had just met and, and tell them about Jesus, what would you call that? And they say, oh, I don't know, it's just a sense. You say, oh, we would call that prophecy. Um, but, but sorry, don't stone me. So I think even people that are cessationists, they do know what you mean as you start to explain different things. But we are charismatic. We don't hide behind it. We pursue those things. And so right up front, spiritual gifts, number one, are for today. And they're given to all. Well, what are they then? Because I think this is where they can be unhelpfully narrowed. I grew up in in effect in a Pentecostal church. It was very narrow. Tongues and prophecy. Everything else is just who you are. Those things were the gifts. The gifts. Well, the Bible never says that. So what are spiritual gifts? Number two, then, spiritual gifts are supernaturally diverse. They are supernaturally diverse. They're wide in the way they're talked about. There are five places in the Bible, in the New Testament, where the gospel writers, where the the apostles and so forth, list for us spiritual gifts. They aren't exhaustive lists. They aren't designed to be. And so they're representational lists, if you will. He's not saying, well, there's your 26 gifts. He's given them as as examples of the type of gifts that are there. And so they're not exhaustive, but I do just want to read them out anyway, because I think it's informative when you start to see, what what are these gifts? What are they like? And so Romans chapter 12, we see that there's a gift of prophecy, gift of service, gift of teaching, gift of encouragement, gift of generosity, gift of leading, acts of mercy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says that singleness is a gift. It's not often classed as a spiritual gift. Afraid so, charismata. It's a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gift of word of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between the gifts, tongues, between the spirits, sorry, tongues, interpretation of tongues, helping and administration. 
How often is administration hailed as a spiritual gift? Well, often. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are our offices, but they're also spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 4. Speaking oracles of God and serving. You know, a couple of points to make from those lists is that these gifts are incredibly diverse, aren't they? They're actually very stretched out in a way. So you've got prophecy on the one hand, but administration on the other. You've got word of wisdom on one hand, and then encouragement. You've got leading on the one hand, and then speaking oracles of God on another. They're very diverse in the way they are. Not many people say, oh Dave, I just want the spiritual gift of helping. But it's a spiritual gift. That's what the Bible talks about. It has lots of gifts. And again, they're just representational. So I would say there are people in our church, Julie Pastor should be one of them, though I'd say without doubt has the gift of hospitality. There is, there is a unique gifting. So we're all called to be hospitable, right? Bible commands it. But there are certain individuals that you come across and you think, that's a gift. That's, a, that's unusual. That, that's more than the rest of us seem to have in different ways. Gift of administration is just the same. Gift of leadership is the same. Gift of pastoring is the same. When you start to think about it, you realize, yeah, there's lots of different gifts out there and we start to see them in different ways. These gifts are incredibly diverse. But it's also important to realize, and this is something I think in in Pentecost tradition is so often misunderstood, it's important to realize that all of these gifts are supernaturally diverse, i.e. all of these different gifts are by nature given by God in a supernatural sense. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he starts to list different ones in different contexts. The point is they're all supernatural. And it's so important we realize that because I think that's one reason why so many people don't think they have any spiritual gifts. Well, I've never prophesied and I don't speak in tongues. I've prayed for people and never seen them healed. I don't have any. Okay, but do you have the gift of hospitality or encouragement or generosity or leading or care? Oh, maybe. I hadn't thought about any of those things. And well, they're spiritual gifts. See, God uses natural gifts and then empowers them in a supernatural way. And I think so often, I think unhelpfully, we can take the credit for that as if, oh, it's the way I am. No. It's the way God's made you. And he's then empowering that gift and clearly it's being used for the glory of God and praise God for that. But let's not give glory to you as if it's just it's the way you are. Let's give glory to the Lord because this is clearly the spirit of work in your life. Bob Coughlin says it this way so helpfully. He says, oftentimes the way God works in our lives is through natural abilities. But when they have signs of God's favour, when they have signs of God's working in them, And the effect is that God's presence is known more clearly as a result of them being used. And those abilities are, in fact, spiritual gifts. So when someone, for instance, leads well, you can at times experience a very real sense that God is working through that person. Well, that's a spiritual gift in operation, and that's a good thing. Scripture does not draw a clear line between the gifts of the Spirit and our ordinary abilities. No, more often than not, God uses our ordinary abilities, our developed abilities, to manifest his gifts in, to manifest the Spirit's work in our lives. So our gifts are supernatural. Whether you perceive them to be natural or supernatural, God says, oh, they're supernatural. There are certain gifts that God gives you, not all of them, but there are certain gifts that God gives you that he empowers in a unique way for purpose and that's what we call the spiritual gifts. Well, what then is the purpose? If they're wide and we all have them, why is he given them? Last point three, spiritual gifts are given with purpose. And this for me is what makes spiritual gifts so amazing because they're given for a reason. There's an objective in mind, which is why the Holy Spirit gives us to them. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, again, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, to each is given a gift. Why? For the common good. For the common good. That's the purpose. Now, you're all still looking at me blank, as if to say, great. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, he unpacks it some more. 
He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's what the, the common good is all about. He's saying, listen, to each a manifestation of the Spirit is given to individuals, to believers. They're going to receive spiritual gifts. Why? For the building up of the church. So that churches may be built. So that body parts can come from different directions and fulfill different roles in diversity for the glory of God. And so that churches can be built. This to me is so exciting. Because God in his grace not only saves us, He not only, in grace, gives us the gift of faith through the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to the glories of the gospel. He then leads us through the Holy Spirit to a local church where we start to be a part. And then as we start to play a part, he says, good news, I've given you and you and you very specific spiritual gifts that will help the building of this local church. I've given each the manifestation of the Spirit that will help you to build this church. So do pastors build churches? Not really. People build churches. Do pastors play their part? Yes, they have a spiritual gift on their life to perform that part. But they're just a part. It takes the whole body to play a part for churches to really be built. And that's why God in his grace gives parts, gives spiritual gifts for the glory of the Lord. Spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the local church. I love that. And you may think, well, how does that work? Let me tell you how it works. Brendan explained last week that the Holy Spirit loves to shine a light on Jesus. Do you remember that? The floodlight. I just thought it was such a great quote by Packer. This floodlight of of the gospel, really, the floodlight of the Holy Spirit that shines on Jesus all the time. That's why there's sometimes in singing, and I'm sure you must have experienced at different times, where you are singing and you are overwhelmed with Jesus and how amazing he is. That's not just because you've had cheese before church. Okay, That's not that. It's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That's what he does. He opens up your eyes to go, wow, it's an evidence of his work. But it is also the way gifts work as well. So what happens is the Holy Spirit in grace wants to point a light on Jesus. So how does he do it? Here's one way he does it. He gives you gifts. And as you operate in that gift, what happens is you through that gift get a floodlight of the Holy Spirit and show us Christ. So when a pastor is operating like they should, preaching the gospel, there will be times where people will go, I see Jesus, this is amazing. That's because they are operating in their gift and showing you Jesus. There are times when you're around somebody's home enjoying their gift of hospitality. And you don't just enjoy the food, you come away and you think, I love Jesus more. I'm so grateful I'm a part of this church. I'm so grateful that I know this person. There's times when people use their creative abilities and they start to produce things like this or they make cards like Kylie does. And you see, you see the way it is used then in the local church for people to love Jesus more as they realize, I love being a part of a church. A church is the bride of Christ. It's all about Jesus. I'm amazed by Jesus more as people use their gifts. The gift of administration, you think, what has that got to do with seeing Jesus? A lot. The Holy Spirit creates order for a start. That's one of his main roles. That's what an administrator does. Creates chaos into order. And then as that order is created, what happens is people start to hear the gospel being prepared. They start to enjoy fellowship of the Holy Spirit as they start to engage with one another at the ends of meetings. They start to have context where they can actually come together and experience fellowship in the Holy Spirit and see Jesus all the more. The Holy Spirit loves to point a light on Jesus. And so he gives you gifts. If you like, see them as torches. He gives you torches to point people to Jesus. And as you play your part, what happens is the church is built. The church is built together. They're starting to be used for the common good. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts of preaching and teaching and leadership so that people can see Christ and be amazed by Jesus and may be built up into a church as they do. He gives gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Not so somebody can come up to the mic and we're like, that is amazing, that's just so amazing why they did that. No, the, the reason that it should happen, exactly how it operated this morning, is two folk come up, they share, we're all amazed more by Jesus and his care towards the people in this room. Amen? 
It's a shining of a light. We're not going away thinking, oh, that is so, let's, let's carry them out on our shoulders. But if Jesus was here, we would carry him out on our shoulders because it makes more of Jesus. The gifts of acts of mercy, encouragement and generosity, they're all gifts given to individuals so that we may see Christ and that as people in, use that gift, I think Glenn Thompson, the gift of encouragement. If ever I have a message that just thinks, that sucks, I just go straight to Glenn because I need the gift of encouragement. <laughs> we all use our gifts differently, but ultimately we start to see Jesus. Serving, helping, administration, all given to us by the Lord so that people may see Jesus and that the church may be built up as we do. Do you get that? I think that spins the head on what so many people think of as spiritual gifts. They get so nervous about, well, it's just a euphoria. I hope not. I hope that as people use their gifts that are wide and diverse, we may as a local church see more and more of Jesus. Christ may be bigger in our eyes. If it is more of a freak show or more of a circus, well, A, that's what we see in Corinthian church. But if that is, then it is misusing the gifts. If people are being held up as, oh my, thank goodness they're here, they prophesy, you know, then we've missed the point. If they want to use their gift humbly and in love for the glory of the Lord so we may see Jesus, oh, fantastic. But if it's to draw attention to the gift itself, that's a bit like a floodlight being drawn attention to. Check out the floodlight. No, check out what it's shining on. Christ, Jesus and him crucified. You know what, it's so important then that we not see some spiritual gifts as better or more worth than, than others. And I cannot overemphasize this too much. It, it is so important that we not make the mistake of seeing the gifts as somehow ranked by God out of more worth in the church. Because that's just not the case. And I think it is a common misconception. The idea that gifts are in some way indicative of varying maturity levels that, my, if you prophesy, God must really love you. You must be really mature. No, they're grace gifts. Or just this misconception that the idea of different gifts are just better or worse than others, more to be desired than others, in a sense. You know, that's really what the Corinthian church happened, happened there. The Corinthian church were just in, in a mess. So what they are doing is they're coming in like we are, and they're basically wearing their spiritual gifts like badges. And they're starting to grade each other on how well they're, they're badges. And so the black belt would probably be like speaking in tongues. And the brown belt would be like prophecy. White belt would be like, oh, you administrate. Oh, thank you. That's really kind. And they were coming in and they're starting to see each other that way. They're starting to think that true spirituality means the most amazing spiritual gifts, pro prophecy in tongues would be right up there. And so they start to grade these different gifts and they're not exercising them out of love, they're exercising to draw attention to themselves. And so it is charismatic chaos. They are literally standing up in the middle of meetings saying, oh, I've got a word. And then somebody else says, well, I've got one. And somebody else says, well, I've got one. And Paul's trying to say, this is chaos. And you're just spending hours singing in tongues and you know, people are coming in, visitors are coming in thinking, you are wackos, why are you even doing this? His whole context is, guys, I'm all for you using the gifts. And so he doesn't correct them from using the gifts once. He encourages them to do it more. But he wants to create order and he wants to help them see, you must not think that this is evidence of greater maturity. In fact, Corinthians, the way you're operating these is showing immaturity in your hearts. These gifts were given for the common good, for the building up of the local church, and you're using them to draw attention to yourselves. You can see why there's so many misconceptions out with spiritual gifts, eh? You see it in churches today. You see it in Corinth first. Drawing attention to self through the gift. Drawing over-attention to the Holy Spirit through gifts. When he's trying to shine a light on Jesus and the Saviour. And to be honest, I grew up in it too. So I'm very grateful for my upbringing. My mum and dad took me to church. It was a, a, a sort of semi-Pentecostal house church um, thing, non-denominational. And I'm very grateful for it. I, I, it taught me, they taught me the Lord. They taught me the gospel. The idea for me growing up that, that God wouldn't be imminent or near or that God couldn't heal people and all that, I had no issues with that because I'd seen that since I was six, seven years old and 
So the idea of not just singing songs, but really entering into the songs in the wood and knowing that God will draw near to us and experiencing that on many occasions. I grew up with that, so it really was no challenge to... to what my challenge was was in Reformed theology, which people started to explain to me that before the foundation of the earth, God chose you. You think, no, he didn't stuff you. I was very aggressive towards that. But the charismatic side, I didn't have a challenge with at all. But the weaknesses of what I grew up in is we did grade people. And no one ever taught that, ever. But it happened. And so there would be people that you just think, oh my, they are the prophets. And they had the look on their face as if to say, yes I am. <laughs> and it was unhelpful. And so you just, you know, you try and do your little gifts and all that, but you just thought, this sucks in comparison to what, what they do. And, and weirdly, maturity levels were built upon that. There's also lots of other things, like you were just made to think that you could use a spiritual gift you know, on request, and so, boom, prophesy, and <laughs> um, I'll think of something. It just didn't happen like that. Or people that, if they didn't speak in tongues, were, were not, if you don't speak in tongues, are you barely a Christian? And I was brought up on that type of theology. I think it's unbiblical. But I was brought up on those different things. And that really is what's happened in Corinthian church. They've got this idea that spiritual gifts indicate very maturity levels and that spiritual gifts, some are better and some are worse. Sovereign Grace, I want you to know that is not biblical. Spiritual gifts are grace gifts. That's why they're called charismata from the way we get charismatic. Charis, grace. Mata, gifts. Greek words. Charismata. So when you say charismatic, it's just, yeah, we, we believe in grace gifts. Praise God for that. Yeah, we do. And they are all needed. Everybody needs to play a part for the glory of the Lord. Why? Because the gifts aren't given to draw attention to yourself. The gifts are given to draw attention to Jesus Christ. And when we draw attention to Jesus Christ, the church is built. And so unbelievers come in and they see us operating in spiritual gifts. They don't think, my gosh, you're weird. They think, what is this? What, what's going on? In your midst. As we'll see next week in prophecy, there were people coming into Corinthian church and just thinking, you guys are weird. And what Paul was saying is, I want people to come and I want, through the gift of prophetic word, them to know that God is in this place and fall at their knees and want to give him worship. That's what I want to see going on. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are important and needed and they are given with great purpose. What a privilege, don't you think, to be able to be given a gift by the Lord where you can shine your light on Jesus Christ. How good is that? But that's all spiritual gifts are. Not all as in a, oh, that's disappointing, but all as in, no, that's all they are. How amazing is that? One more point then. Spiritual gifts, number four, are to be eagerly pursued out of love. Spiritual gifts are to be eagerly pursued out of love. You know, one final common misconception that I want to look at is that when we are converted, we receive all of the spiritual gifts that we're ever going to get. And so it's like a job lot. And so, oh, you become a Christian. Boom, have a slice. Figure out what it is as you get older and, and then you get on your way. And I think 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, this idea that to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit, it can be misrepresented in that regard, that you become a Christian, manifestation of the Spirit, boom, that's your bag. But Paul doesn't make it sound that way, and he certainly doesn't teach it that way, because he wants us to eagerly desire other gifts. So different to what he says. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 39, we are told... Um, to eagerly desire and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He wants to move us on. He wants to bring us on to eagerly desire more and more gifts. Quite literally what you see in context of 1 Corinthians is the Holy Spirit just isn't done with you yet. You didn't get a job lot upon salvation. He wants to give you more. And this shouldn't surprise us. Is that If the whole purpose is through gifts, pointing attention to Jesus Christ and building a church, why would we be surprised that we want to eagerly desire them then and that the Holy Spirit wants to give us more? So Paul tells us every time, eagerly desire them. 
earnestly pursue them. I want you to receive more and more gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, sovereign grace, that needs to then be our story. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I don't know what background different ones of you have come from. You may have been told that spiritual gifts are a naughty word. They are not a naughty word. In fact, actually, what is naughty is not pursuing them because that's a biblical command. Eagerly desire. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And I want to encourage you, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts out of love, which is Paul's main driving point. Now, chapter 13, you have a whole chapter on love. And I think so many people go around and just think, why did he do that? What a random thing to talk about in the midst of talking about tongues and prophecy. And what's he on about? And most of the time, when I hear 1 Corinthians 13 mentioned, I'm hearing this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy and boast. And I'm sitting at somebody's wedding. Most of the time, that is talked about. It's at a wedding. And it's great. It's a great piece of verse. You know what the context is? Spiritual gifts. He's talking about the practice and use of spiritual gifts. That just thrills my heart in a a really bizarre way. There's so many churches that would not agree with the spiritual gifts use that verse. I'm just going to enjoy that every time at a wedding. Anyway, spiritual gifts are to be pursued in love. And that was Paul's main issue with the Corinthian church. He's not cross with them for, for using their gifts. No, quite the other. He actually says to them, look, I'm, you know, I'm not sure about this speaking in tongues thing publicly. In fact, we shouldn't be doing that unless you've got an interpretation because unbelievers come in and think that's really weird. And so I'd rather you prophesy than speak in tongues. But guess what? I do speak in tongues more than any of you. That's what he says. You think, Paul, that's not helpful. <laughs> You know, if I was the Corinthian pastor, I'd say, guys, look, this is charismatic chaos. Just stop it. Just stop it. We're not going to have any more contribution, Mike. Could you please just stop using these gifts for a bit? Just calm down and we'll figure it out later when we start to get it worked out what we're going to do. He doesn't do that. He's saying, no, guys, you rock. My gosh, your use of spiritual gifts, Corinthian church, is amazing. It's so good. And so we need to give it order because I think this is a bit chaotic. But I want you to eagerly desire more and more of them, but I want you to change your motive. I want your motive not to be selfishly drawing attention to yourself. I want your motive to be love. And my friends at Sovereign Grace, that needs to be our motive as well. Eagerly desire the gifts. Why? Because if you really love the brothers and sisters around you, why would you not want them to see more of Christ? which is what a spiritual gift does. So eagerly desire the gifts. Lord, would you give us more and more gifts? Because I want through my life to show people more and more of Christ through gifts that you may give us. I want to be a part of a church where people are operating in spiritual gifts across the whole park. Because as they do, Jesus Christ becomes more and more greater in our eyes. So Paul's premise is not, please stop using and pursuing the gifts. His premise is you need to change your motives, church. You need to pursue these things in love and then practice them in love, not to draw attention to yourself, but draw attention to Christ so that the church may be built. Friends, spiritual gifts are wide and diverse grace gifts given to us and empowered by God for the common good. And so I want to encourage you then, earnestly practice them. If you've been given gifts by the Lord, that's great. Don't put it on a shelf. Use it. Don't use your spiritual gift primarily in your place of work to earn your money. Use your spiritual gift primarily in the church, the place that it was primarily given for, that the church may be built, that the body may grow, that Christ may be seen ever increasingly in our midst. And I want to encourage you, eagerly pursue them. Not for selfish gain, but out of love. Gordon Fee then, one final quote to finish. He really sums up my hope, my hope in all of this. He says, A genuine recapturing of Paul's perspective will not isolate the spirit in such a way that spiritual gifts and spiritual phenomena take pride of place in the church, resulting in churches that are either charismatic or otherwise. Rather, a genuine recapturing of Paul's perspective 
will cause the church to be more vitally Trinitarian. Not only in its theology, but in its life and spirituality as well. This will mean not the exaltation of the Spirit, but the exaltation of God. And it will mean focus not on the Spirit as such, but on the Son, crucified and risen, Saviour and Lord of all. That's my prayer. That's why I want us to pursue spiritual gifts. Because they're not about us. They're given by the Lord as grace gifts to us. We haven't earned them. But he bestows them on us so that we can point a light on Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be the fruit of this series. May it all be about Jesus all the more. Let's pray. In fact, why don't we stand together because I'd love to pray for you guys as we finish. In an absence of any song relating to the spiritual gifts, I'm just going to pray instead. Lord, I do thank you that your word is clear. And I thank you that spiritual gifts, in every sense, aren't something to be afraid of. They're, they're something to rejoice over because they point us to your Son. They point us to Christ and Him crucified. Lord, I do pray that throughout this series, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the glories of what your word is talking about. Lord, would you give us the gift of faith to be able to operate in these gifts. And Lord, would there be no individual in our midst that thinks wrongly that they just have no gifts? Quite evidently, your spirit has bestowed gifts on all. To each is given a manifestation of the spirit to the common good. And so, Lord, would you help us then be a church that shine a light in the right sense on to Jesus Christ by using our spiritual gifts for your glory. Lord, help us to eagerly pursue them, not to selfish gain, but for godly gain. Not for selfish look at me, but for boastful look at him. Lord, would that be our desire and would that be our passion? Oh, Lord, did you equip us then over the next three weeks to understand them more clearly And to then, guided by your word, understand how to operate in them in an orderly way, in a concise way, in a way that as best we can, operating in the gift you've given us, shine a light on your Son. Help us do that, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.